joy and peace. Amen. Lord, have your way here. <laughs> A lot of times your way, Lord, people take as unorthodox. I've heard people out in the world say, oh, well, that's indulgent. But no. Your presence, really, Lord, is all that matters. This life we live on here on this earth is very, very short. That's why, Jesus, you said, don't seek to gather treasures here on earth where thieves break in and steal, where they can decay. But set, build up for yourself treasure in heaven. Said where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So you, Father, are, are the prize. You are the prize. Have your way here, Lord. You dwell among your people, truly. Father, I just ask that you would help me to get this word out. Help us, help it to be, help me to speak it out the way you desire it to be spoken. That it may build up the body. I thank you, Lord. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Praise God. You know, next week we've got abiding worships all, 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 you know, I shouldn't say all music. It's all, it's, it's, in, in, in uh, Corinthians, Paul talks about when you come together, one of you's got a song, one of you's got a tongue, one of you's got interpretation, you know, one of you's got a teaching, whatever, whatever God has on your heart. And um, so that's the kind of service we'll have next week. And it's important to say, why are we meeting? What, what, for what purpose are we here? You know, are we here to um, minister healing? You know, are we here to uh, bring the word? Are we here to just spend time in God's presence? What's the purpose of the meeting, you know? You read the book of Acts, it looks like they had different purposes for different meetings. And, you know, they would go out and talk to people about Jesus. They would spend time just in what you call believers meetings. Just, it's all believers here. You know, just worship God. Just you know. So anyway, just something to think about. As of right now, I don't have a guest musician, you know. My, my flesh would have me panicking, but I said, God, I'm putting it in your hands. He's got it. He's got it. And, you know, I was telling Tammy this morning, it's like when, you know, you, you call all the musicians you know and everybody's out of town. <laughs> and it's like, well, you know, the tendency is to panic, right? But you know, and then, and then when you finally decide to trust God with something, then the question comes, well, what if God doesn't do it? It doesn't really matter. If God doesn't, you know, if, if, if there's no one, then there's no one. We'll just meet together and worship God together. Amen. Okay. Praise God. Let's um, go ahead and open our Bibles up to 1 Corinthians 12. Thank you, Becky.
You're welcome. Ah, Lord, abide here. Thank you, God, for your goodness and your mercy. Everlasting, God. Okay, let's do that. Let's pray for Tim and Kevin. Lord, we lift up Tim to you, our brother. And uh, we just ask, Lord, you touch his jaw. You touch his, uh, uh, <laughs> his mandible. That's the technical term, Lord. Touch that bone, Lord. And we pray, Father, you restore that bone to him. Build up all the calcium, everything that, that, that is needed to uh, restructure and reinforce that bone. We ask for healing, Lord. In Jesus' name, we pray for a recovery time. And we pray, Father God, for Kevin, Lord, same for him, recovery, 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 Lord. We speak recovery over him in faith, in Jesus' name, and believe, Lord, that you are working all things together for the good of those who love you. Amen. In Jesus' name, amen. So here we are in 1 Corinthians 12, if you're there. We come here many times, but we're looking at it from a different angle. In my heart, I feel like it's a good time to talk a little bit, a little bit, about spiritual gifts. Um, these are important spiritual gifts. And, and ju just, just a little disclaimer here, just a little footnote. When we talk about spiritual gifts, uh, you know, I'm not necessarily talking about the nine gifts of the Spirit, because those operate as the Spirit wills. Every other spiritual gift you have from God, you can just do. You know, if I've got a gift for teaching, I can just... I can just teach. Now, do you guys need me back there, or do you, are you handling it? Have you got it? If you got it, I'm, I'm good to just go on. Okay, all right. But if you need me, let me know. Okay, so uh, if I had just have a teaching gift, you know, if God just has gave me the ability to teach, I can just teach. I can just do that any time. But then the nine gifts of the Spirit uh, operate as the Spirit wills. You know, those are the nine gifts to hear. And, but I'm actually not going to read through them, but you can... You can just go back on your own anytime you like to. You've got uh, the nine spiritual gifts uh, that Paul lists here at the beginning of the chapter. And, um, and you know, I'm not going to go through them. But uh, just say that these gifts, and, and I'm, I'm kind of lumping them all together at this point, but these gifts, these, all these spiritual gifts, these are important because God has given us spiritual gifts in order to build up one another but then it also to order to help us to win the lost as well. You'll notice that as spiritual gifts work in your life, they tend to more directly benefit other people than just you yourself. They do benefit you. They do. But more so other, other people. You know, you, you notice that Jesus, Jesus operated in all the nine spiritual gifts in, in here. But, uh, you, I mean, how often did you see him doing, working those for the disciples themselves? The, you know, the people that traveled with him. Or how often did they, did they benefit him personally? They did. They did benefit him personally, but more so they benefited the people around him, the people that were getting delivered and healed and, you know, having demons cast out of them and all, and, and all you know. So you will notice that as spiritual gifts work in your life, they will tend, tend to directly benefit other people more than they do you. And, uh, you know, that's why, and, I, and I'm going to add, at least for now, before we see Jesus, <laughs> you know. And I believe in my heart that many of you here have, and I'm including the people at home as well, have felt the desire more to help those around you and be used of God to do that. I just believe that. 
you know, no one, no one's really come out. And said, I mean, a couple people have said something, but, but, but mostly it's just in my heart. When I pray for this body, I feel in my heart that God, that, that, uh, that people are wanting to, they see, they're seeing needs in people around them, and they're wanting to help. Okay, and that's very good. That's very good. It's a good desire. Now, first of all, don't be afraid to step out in faith because you think you're going to make a mistake. You will make a mistake. God knows you're going to make a mistake, but he called you anyway. <laughs> now, second, as a teacher and a pastor, it's my job to equip you for the work of the ministry. In other words, anything that God calls you to do while you're here and while I'm here, I am to help equip you for that. But, you know, I mean, I, I can't take away a fear of failure. I can't do the work for you, but I can help equip you. Sometimes, you know, I can aid you, you know, if, you, if, if we happen to be someplace together and someone needs, you know, to, you know God, the Holy Spirit's leading us to, to talk to them or, or whatever, I can aid you there, you know, or you can aid me, vice versa. But then you can also equip yourself by being in the Word on your own. Amen. As a kid, I used to get excited when the pastor would start talking about spiritual gifts. It's always, it's always fascinated me how God uses different people in different ways. Your gifts are not my gifts. My gifts are not your gifts. Even people who have some of the same spiritual gifts operate at different levels of ability. You know, and and uh, many people, Christians included, have fallen into the trap of coveting each other's gifts, wanting, well, I wish I could, you know, I wish I could sing like so-and-so, or I wish I could, you know, do this, I wish I had that mini- this ministry or that ministry. You know, it was interesting, um, you know, I uh, heard a minister talk one time about how he was, he was in Africa, you know, and he was just visiting another, another pastor out there. Well, um, someone came in, and because and, he was talking to the pastor, it was after service, service was done, people are dismissed, and so people are standing around little groups talking. Well, this minister that had gone to visit in Africa was standing next to the pastor, and they were just talking about things. And someone come up, and they needed uh, they needed healing for something specific. I think it was uh, something with their eyes. And uh, they said they talked to the to the the pastor there, and uh, could not not the visiting guy, but the pastor, and said I, I need I want prayer for for healing for my eyes. And, and the pastor said, you know, if if uh, if I was the only one here. I would pray about that. He said, but there's someone here who happens to operate in gifts of healings. And he said, and it's my wife. And so he called his wife over. He said, I would pray for you if, if, I, if I was the only one here. But, but she happens to be here, and she operates in that gift, so let's bring her over, you know. And the person got healed. And so, but that's a, that's a you know, honoring somebody else's gift. But at the same time, it's not, I'm going to go ahead and step out and do this. He could have, but was there a better way to get the job done? You know, I, you know, yeah, sure, I could, I could do it, but, but maybe there's somebody else here who operates in that gift, and, you know, maybe when they come over here, who knows, they might say, you know, uh, you called me over here, but God's telling me that you're the one that's supposed to do this. You never know. That might happen, too. That might happen, too, you know. But, uh, you know, this, there's a trap there of, of desiring somebody else's gift and uh, wanting to, to look like them or sound like them or, you know, be like them, and uh, nothing wrong with honoring that, but we don't want to get caught in the trap of coveting at that. So um, because God has called you to work for him as he has made you, not as he has made so-and-so. 
And, uh, you know, some of the people whose gifts that I respect the most, that I know personally, have told me that they, well, I don't think that my gift can help anybody. You know, I've had people tell me, I wish that I could do what you do over here. And I'm over here like, well, you know, I wish I could do what so-and-so does. You know. But, uh, you know, these people that have told me, well, I mean, I just don't think that my gift can help anything. And, and uh, you know, to anyone who has ever thought that, that thought that my gifts can't help anybody, I'll ask you this. Can God use that gift that he put into you? Can God do it to accomplish the impossible? Yeah, Jesus said all things are possible with God. So, you know, even if it's not possible for you, it's possible for God. So I don't ever want you to entertain the thought. I don't want you to start entertaining the thought that your gifts are useless. You know, if that, if that thought pops into your head, take it captive. In the name of Jesus, to the feet of Jesus. It said, you know, over in 2 Corinthians 10, it said, take every thought captive to Jesus. Which thought? Any thought that opposes the knowledge of God, that verse said. Well, the thought that says that your gifts cannot be used by God is a thought that stands against God. That's a lie. Because God can do all things. So, you know, if God can do all things, he can certainly use the gift that he put in you. Amen. Amen. So, let's look at the end of chapter 12 here, starting in verse 27. It says, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Of course, here he's talking about offices, I believe. The, now, now that, that means if you, are, you operate in an office, that means that you are operating in a specific set of gifts that qualifies you to be in that office. But he's not talking specifically about gifts. He's talking about offices that operate in gifts. Okay. So then he, verse 29, he says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Now, now again, I believe he's still talking about offices, but you can say underneath that he's talking about spiritual gifts because in this very next verse in 31, he says, but earnestly desire the best gifts. Well, <laughs> what are the best gifts? Whatever gifts, gifts are needed at the time. That's, that's the best gifts, whatever is needed at the moment. God knows which gifts are needed at the moment. And then I'm going to finish that out there. But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. And from there, all through chapter 13, Paul talks about the importance of love, because that's what he said, love is the better way, is the more excellent way. He talks about the importance of love, and he also works to define love, to help us to understand what love is and how, how desperately the church needs to know that. How desperately the church needs to be, uh, um, needs to have a good understanding of what love is and what love is not. But, um, and he uses that. His love, love is, you know, love is patient, love is kind. He goes through and describes the qualities of love or the aspects of love, you could say. It's the God kind of love, unconditional love. All right. Now, before I make my point here, I want to go on a quick tangent. Just a quick one. So I want you to take a mental bookmark and stick it in your brain here. Now, here's the tangent. According to these verses, love is not a gift. 
But wait, there's more. Wait, before you take up stones to cast at me. Let me break down what Paul just said. He said, earnestly desire the best gifts. And then he said, and yet I show you a more excellent way, which is love. So he, it's clear he makes a distinction between spiritual gifts and love. Yeah? So love is not a gift in the sense that a person can say, I operate in the gift of love. I can flip a switch and just show God's love to anyone, anytime. Well, now, you, you can... <laughs> You can get to a point where you walk that way. You can. You can get to a point where you walk that way, but no one starts off there. You know. I think for some people it's easier to operate in love than others, but there's no like, gift I can, I can just... And, and like I said, certain gifts, you, you, can just, you can just operate in that gift anytime. I mean, like I use the example of teaching, giving, anything like that. You can just, I'll just do that. I'll just operate in that. But then the nine gifts of the Spirit, that's different. You have to be reliant on the Holy Spirit because those operate as he wills. There's the, I mean, there's always the potential for God to use you in any of those gifts. But it's as he wills. That's as the Holy Ghost wills. So, um, so love is not a gift then, is what I'm saying. That's what I'm getting at, I'm driving at. And I'll explain that more later on, but it's not like some people have the gift of love and others don't. You know what I mean? Any, everyone can walk in love. That, um, you know, that... That's just a choice of the will. But when it comes to gifts, we are all gifted differently. Yet you can all show people love through the unique gifts that God has given you. We just read in verse 28 and 29 about all these awesome gifts God's given to the church. And really, you know, you could say, well, you know, is an apostle or a prophet or a teacher, is an office a gift? Yeah. Yeah, that's a gift from God to the church. And then, they, and then they have gifts that they operate in, okay? So, so you can say, well, you know, uh, God talks about all these great gifts there. And uh, here's what I'm getting at. If we're not careful, we can get so caught up in the gifts themselves that we neglect the better way to use them, which is love. I remember growing up in the church and hearing people talk about awesome miracles of God. And I would think if all the lost people could see, just see those miracles, they would believe in Jesus. Well, now that's not really true. People can believe whatever they want to believe. Jesus said, even if someone rises from the dead, remember when he's teaching about that? He's, you know, in that parable about, about uh, Abraham and well, some people say it's not a parable, but, but you know what I mean. It's, it's, it's a true story that Jesus told where he said, uh, the, the guy, in the, send, send this guy back from the dead and talk to my, my family because if someone comes back from the dead, they'll believe. And Jesus said, even if someone doesn't, you know, Abraham in the story said, even if someone doesn't, if they don't believe in the law and the prophets, they won't believe if someone rises from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. Not everybody believes. So I was wrong in my thinking. That people, everybody would just automatically believe if they could see all the miracles. But then on the other hand, much is lost. Much is lost when a person who works miracles in Jesus' name falls into sin. We've all seen that. And I say much is lost because when someone, uh, you know, uh, when someone comes into a new place and works miracles and they fall, then people are left, what happened? I thought God was using that person. You know, well... What was backing their gifts? 
was it a love for God? You know, and say, why would God use someone like that? Why would, um, why, why? You know, well, I'll look at that more in a second here. So verse 1, I'm going to look at verse 1 in chapter 13. We're not going to go all the way down through the definition of love. But it says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. What's he saying? Without love, the gift in me is worthless to me. Profits me nothing. Now, notice the gifts themselves can still operate. Did you notice that? So, they still may do good for someone else. All right. But the, the, I am nothing. That's why in the previous chapter, chapter, he listed the gifts, all the gifts, but then he was quick to tell us that love is the more excellent way to operate in those gifts. There are some people who have forgotten the love part and just use the gifts. This is how you can see that some great minister with a powerful ministry, a powerful, even a miraculous ministry, they can suddenly get caught and exposed in some terrible sin. And like I said, if people are left scratching their heads, there's much confusion. What happened? Why would God use someone that way? Well, the Bible says in Romans eleven twenty nine that the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. That means that God will never change his mind about the gift he's put in you or the calling he has placed on your life. And so what happens is, is that people just get so far gone, you know, that they're that they're not they're not walking in love, they're not, you know, and so they fall, you know. Now, there's grace, because God's giving them time to repent, you know. Right? But we and and uh, you know, so the idea then, it, that's actually a good thing. If I if I mess up in a gift, you know, God will forgive me if I ask him to. And I get back on track. But he's going to give me time to make it right with him, you know. And so, some, so when, when, when some minister falls into sin and it's like, uh, was God giving them time? Yeah, God was giving them time to repent, absolutely. And when it's exposed and they fall, it's probably God that exposed it. <laughs> and, you know, the calling on your life is never taken and the gift is never taken. And aren't you glad? Because we all make mistakes. But God doesn't take away the gift, and he, and he always calls us back to him. That's interesting, you know, we use the word calling to, okay, well, God put a call on my life. I'm to go do this. Well, at the same time, if I turn away from that, the calling, it contained in the calling is repentance. If I get off track, God's like, the, the calling is still there, and what's the calling do? Calling me back to him. Okay, that's part of it. It's built in. And, uh, you know, last week I, I mentioned a certain thing Jesus said. And I want to take a minute to, to look at that today. Let's turn over to Matthew 18. How are we all doing with this today? You okay? <laughs> Don't worry, I'm not correcting anybody individually here. I'm just, just teaching. Last week we, t we talked about correction, you know, but don't worry, it's not like I was... Like, I'm going to get you ready because I'm going to correct you next week. No, that's not, that's not the goal. 
So here in Matthew, we're just going to talk a little bit about the thing that I mentioned Jesus said last week. This is Jesus speaking in Matthew 18. Look at verse 15. Jesus says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Now you realize that God follows his own instructions, his own directions. I was thinking about that. You know, you write a recipe. And when you write the instructions to your recipe and you give that to people, what are you doing? You're telling them, These are the, this is the, the instructions that I follow to get this dish. You know, and you can look at it the same way when God gives us instructions. He's saying, this is the way I live. This is the way I want you to live. You know, so, because people are like, well, who is God to say? Well, you know, God's following his own instructions. Now, last week, you know, I told you a story about a church service where the music was going on. Everyone's praising God. It's awesome. And suddenly, Brother Hagin had a word of knowledge from God. So he took the microphone and he turned to the worship leader. And he said, you're living in such and such a sin. I won't say the sin, but he said, you're living in such and such a sin. And God says, if you don't stop, he's going to remove you from your place. In a public meeting, this happened. Now, that's a very sobering, very sobering moment, you know. Was God trying to embarrass the man? No. No, God does the same thing as Jesus said here. He deals with us personally first. We have to assume that. Because God's going to follow his own instructions. If God, if something like that happens, if you see something like that happen, you have to say, God must have been dealing with that person personally for a while. Then God must have sent someone, because I've had God people send people to me and say, God says that, that uh, you need to, to be doing this, or you, or you need to get your heart right with him, or, or whatever. And I've had to, to examine myself and say, yeah, they're right. It happened to me in a, at a, before a church service. I had gone out and I was doing itinerant leading worship at a church somewhere in California, I can't remember where it was, but um, the pastor of that church was sitting back in the sound booth and he's watching us rehearse and everything. All the rest of the band walked out to, to get stuff, you know, because we hadn't even done a sound check. We were just bringing stuff in. So they went out to get more stuff. I was the guitar player. All I got to do is bring my guitar in my bag and let's just set up, you know, and they all have to go out there and get all their stuff. So they're all outside. And I went outside just to talk to him because I was already set up and, and the pastor stopped me as I was walking out and he said, he said, you need to get your heart right with God. Now, was I doing anything, uh, like, I wasn't living in any kind of terrible skin, sin, but I wasn't, I wasn't spending time with God like I was, and I knew it because God had already dealt with me, and I hadn't done anything about it. And here this man says, you need to get your heart right with God. That's all he said. And I'm like, he's right. See, that's that example. God had dealt with me personally. I didn't listen. So what did he do? He brought someone with him. Okay? So we have to say, well, this, in this case where Brother Hagin spoke to this guy, you know, because God gave more word of knowledge, you're living in this sin, you need to stop, okay? The purpose is not to embarrass the man, the purpose is to tell him, you need to stop, and I'm bearing witness with all the church here, you need to stop this, okay? Now, was, um, was, uh, he, was God saying that he was going to remove the man from his, from his calling or his gifting? No, he just said, I'm going to remove you from your place. What does that mean? That means he's going to take away that position of leading worship in that church. 
He can still sing. He can still play whatever instrument he played. Okay? But see, you can get to a point where you have gotten so far out of your love walk that even using your gift can cause more harm than good in the public setting. How? Well, one way is this. There's, you know, many ways. But one way is that if another knows that you're not living right, and they see that God is, is, is seeming to allow you to hold that position anyway, they'll say, well, I guess it's okay to live that way. See, that causes harm to the body of Christ. And now it may seem like I'm talking about two separate issues here, walking in love, one, and living in sin, the other one. But, but really, let me bring these two things together now. This worship leader was living in sin, and as a result, had gotten out of his love walk. And you may ask, well, you mean he, he stopped walking, he stopped treating other people with love? Really, what I'm saying is that he stopped walking in love toward God. He stopped treating God with love. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He said the second is like it, love your neighbor as you love yourself. See, love is directed toward God first and then toward others. And it's, it's quick succession. It's, I learned to love God and immediately he's telling me, now you love others. So it's a quick thing. But see, the order is still there. Love God first. Love others. Right on the wall, right there. Love God, love others. Okay. So we can see that. And someone say, well, and this question has come up in the past. It's a good question. Is what if you don't love yourself? If you work at truly loving God, you will learn to love yourself. Because part of loving God is learning to love the things that God loves, and God loves you. <laughs> but that's a subject for a different day. This worship leader had taken his affection for God. You could say he, he, he did. Because I love how Psalm 91 says, God, God talking about the psalmist says, he has set his love upon me. So you can visualize that. It's like I can, I can take my love and I can set it upon God. And so you can say this, what this uh, worship leader had done is he had taken his affection that he had placed on God at one point in his life, and he had taken that and he had put it on some other behavior that God classifies as sinful. Okay? That's not walking in love toward God. You know, Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. So love then toward God and people is the proper motivation for using any gift you have from God. That's really all Paul was talking about there. Love is the more excellent way because that's the motivation. That's, that's the drive to use the gifts. Love. See, we as humans tend to compartmentalize these things into, in, into different subjects, you know. But God makes them all kind of sort of flow into one another. You notice that? <laughs> this new term came up in recent years people like we like to have we want it to, to occur organically organically I like that and that's really you know what they're talking about here God it's like you know I, I can say okay well I've got like if I like if I'm going to plant a garden okay I know nothing about planting gardens at all but if I okay I'm going to plant I'm going to plant celery why because I don't know what I'm doing I don't know what I should plant so I plant celery now now if I say okay a love is a different plant than the gifts, I mean, you can, you, can, you can separate them for the purpose of learning, but really, it's like, you really should more think of the gifts as kind of an offshooting of the original plant, 
God makes all these things work together. Okay. We can kind of sort of see an example about that a few chapters back. Let's turn, we're in Matthew 18. Turn back with me to chapter 9. I'm not wearing you out, are you? Are you guys weary? Are you okay? All right. It's okay. You can be honest with me if you're, if you're tired. I've got candy in my office. I can give you a little jolt, you know. It's the weather, right? <laughs> okay, so here in chapter 9, we get to see Jesus in action here. Chapter 9. We're going to look at verse 35. It says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages. So he's going a lot of places here. All the cities and, and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. You know, I, you know when, you, when you read something that Jesus did, you ought to say, I can do that. I can, do all, I can do that because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can, I can do that. If God wants me to do that, I can do that. You know, we shouldn't just say, uh, well, that was Jesus. It was Jesus, but Jesus told us, he believes in me, these same works he'll do. So, uh, verse 36, he says, uh, uh, um, well, before I get there, I just point out, Jesus is operating in a lot of gifts there, isn't he? Teaching in the synagogues, teaching, preaching. Healing every sickness, every disease, that's a lot of gifts, right? A lot of spiritual gifts there. Verse 36, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I once heard a Bible teacher give a definition for compassion. He said, compassion is love with its sleeves rolled up. I love that. And you know, we just read, Jesus is doing all this work, teaching, preaching, healing sickness and disease among all these multitudes of people, okay? And it says he, he, he did this, why did he do this? Out of compassion. Not only because they needed to hear the gospel of the kingdom or needed healing, but they were, but they were scattered. They were weary. They're scattered. You know, they're, we're talking about more than one city, more than one village. He's looking at all of them as a whole, saying, "The harvest is great, but the laborers are few." Okay. And then you know, I think about weariness. Weariness, you know, problems in life weary a person. All these people that were coming to Jesus, they all had some problem. They're weary. You know, but then also waiting for someone to help you with your problems can make you weary. I've been waiting. There's other people in line in front of me. Jesus, Jesus said the laborers are few. There's very, his, his disciples, he, he gave them, you know, I mean, he delegated some stuff to them. They were able to do some of the same things he did, if not all. And, and so, you know, but you've got a very few You've got a very small number of people working, and, and, and Jesus said, this multitude is great. Pray, so, the, the answer is pray, the Lord of the harvest, to send more laborers out into the fields. Okay? He said, the harvest is great, you're going to need help. <laughs> I mean, take a minute, if every Christian, if, if every Christian in this world went into the harvest field, what would be the result? A big revival. 
<laughs> Big revival, yes. So then, we are the laborers he sends. And if we're going to do the work, we, we, we should know the best way to get it done. Because, you know, there's more than one way to do things. So, like, if, if I'm operating in the gifts without love, that's one way to do it. And maybe there's, maybe there's some good that can get done with that. But the best way is love. You know, and, and then the church, you know, the church, we, we, we can get into spiritual habits and we can, and we can do things. But I've had, I've had God tell me before, just working, you know, just, you know, working with my hands, painting something or whatever. I've had him say, you know, there's a better way to do that. So, so you know, you can be effective, but you can always be more effective, you know. So, lost my place here. So then, we should know the best way to get it done. That's always by, see how reliant we are on the Holy Spirit. Got to rely on him. Sometimes, you know, I've had been in situations where talking to someone and God's telling me what to say, but he's not telling me what to say as quickly as I think he should tell me what to say. And so there's times that it's like this really awkward silence and I can feel beads of sweat breaking out in my forehead and the person's looking at me and I'm like, God's not saying anything. But, you know, he's never left me out to dry, you know. He, he, he helped me, you know. He helped me. And he'll help you. I believe that some people have been doing the work with the gifts that God has given them, but they've, they've been so caught up in the gifts themselves that they're not using the best way available, which is using them through love, which I said many times, you know. I bet you thought I was going to teach on some of the individual gifts today. Nope. Nope. So let's close with one final thought on love. Turn with me from here to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5. Charlie, I noticed you're getting updates. Are you, is everything okay? Yeah, all right. Then I trust you guys. All right. I think I went way past Galatians. I did. Somehow I still missed it. Oh, that's right. General Electric Company, what's that? This little Galatians, Ephesians. There it is. Galatians. Galatians 5. Now, um, you remember... In John 14, 15, and 16, that Jesus said that, he, that, the, that the, he would send the Holy Spirit. He said, And he said, the Holy Spirit would be with us and in us. Remember Jesus said that? Well, if you said out loud that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, you have the Holy Spirit. You have him. He's in you. Well, then if you want more of the Holy Spirit, just ask Jesus to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Remember John the Baptist said that Jesus would baptize you in the Holy Spirit? What's the difference? Well, you have him, but there's a difference between having him and being fully immersed in him. And if God is infinite, you can always have more. You can always have more of the Holy Spirit. Jesus talked about that. You know, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much more will he, how much more will he give the Holy Spirit to those? It's not a one-time thing. People think, okay, it's just a one-time thing. But if you read the book of Acts, you see that there was, they, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit multiple times. Multiple infillings. And that walks hand in hand with what Paul talked, or Peter, I mean. He said, God will give you times of refreshing from the Lord. The Holy Spirit refresh you. So then, uh, I said that because we're here in Galatians 5, look with me down at verse 16. We're just going to look at a couple verses here. 
So he said, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, I only stopped here because earlier we touched on the sin issue. I did touch on that. The verse says to walk, walk in the Spirit, walk in Him. That's the Holy Spirit. He's the third member of the Trinity, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's God. So we don't, we don't overcome sin in our lives by trying not to sin every day. I don't say, okay, I'm not going to lie today. Not going to do it. Not going to do it. Why? Now I'm, now I'm obsessed with lying all day long, you know. That's what's on my mind. Not, God's not on my mind. I'm trying not to lie, right? We overcome sin. That's just one example, you know. We overcome sin by walking in close fellowship with the Spirit of God. Walk in close fellowship with Him. You know, the Word said, don't grieve the Spirit. If, if, if He says, don't grieve the Spirit, that means that you can get to a point where you can understand what it means to grieve the Spirit, or you can get to where you, sen- you can sense in your heart, I just grieve the Spirit of God. Why? Because if you're walking close with Him, you learn him you learn you 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 get to know him you know you spend a lot of time with someone you can tell if you've offended them they might not even have to say anything right you get to where you spend so much time with the holy spirit you can learn oh that's going to grieve i mean even even before you do it i mean even before even before you know like you're about to do something and it's like you know what i know that you grieve the holy spirit so you take a step back from that you can see then how sin is overcome in your life because it's like I'm walking in close fellowship with the Holy Spirit. I know what grieves him, and so I will not do those things because I do not want to grieve him. And so now the motivation is love toward God because I don't want to offend him. Why? Because I'm walking in love toward him. And so sin then just kind of becomes a non-issue. I don't need to think about it all the time because if I do get too close to something, the Holy Spirit will let me know that's not a safe area. Back out of there. Yeah? Make sense? Well, everyone's so quiet. <laughs> I was listening to a teacher one time, and she said, you know, when people shout, that means they know, they, they know what you, you, they already know what you're saying, and they agree with it, but when they're, when they're quiet, they're thinking. They're learning. <laughs> Thank you, Father, for teaching us. So, now, now I say, I'm going to, Again, I'm going to add a little addendum here. So, so just, just live to please God, and the sin problem will take care of itself. Not the temptation to sin, though. Okay? You'll always have that until Jesus comes. You'll always have the temptation to sin. And, you know, um, you know I heard Brother Hagin say one time, and I agree completely, is that you know, some of the most holy people, some of the most sanctified people at times will have thoughts in their mind that offend their heart. You know, like a thought, a thought will pop into their head, and it's obvious that thought's not of God. Well, you take those thoughts captive, like I mentioned earlier. You know, you can, like, like he said, he said, you know, you, can, you can't stop a bird. You know, you can't stop thoughts from popping into your head. Thoughts will pop into your head. Uh, I mean, the, the devil came to Eve with thoughts, but they don't always come from him. Sometimes a thought popping. I mean, if you walked outside and you smelled rain on the air, you would think of rain. That's just, and that's based on what? That's based on just your physical senses. A thought will pop into your head. So if a thought pops into your head, you can't stop a thought from popping into your head, but you can control whether or not you dwell on that thought. Okay? Now, 
You can't, it's just like you can't stop a, a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop it from making a nest in your hair. Right? You can, you can do something about that. All right? Now, <laughs> that one always made me laugh, too. Now, okay, so, it, but he said, you know, we walk in the Spirit continually. Then that's the, that's the implication. Continually. We will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Temptations from the flesh still come, but the lust of the flesh is that completion of, you know, that, that I've done it now. I've done, uh, now I've messed myself up. I got over into lying again, or I got over into stealing again, or whatever it is. You know, that's the lust of the flesh. Amen. Now, but it's good news. Walk in the Spirit. You won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Okay, now for this last thought on love. Look down at verse 22. And here's where I'm going to tie some things together. I had some loose ends, but I'm going to tie it up now. At least I'm going to try. Verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. First one on the list. Love. Joy. Peace. Long-suffering. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Self-control. Against such there is no law. That means that's well within your rights to do those things. There's no law against that. You know. So notice, too, that there are nine items listed here, and there are also nine gifts of the Spirit. You read uh, 1 Corinthians 12, nine gifts of the Spirit, and then nine items listed under here under the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit, I would say, is a blended fruit. Not like there's, a, there's one fruit, like this is the love fruit, this is the joy fruit, this is the, it's all, it's a blended in your life, okay? So, but again, this is the fruit of the Spirit, and the first one on the list is love. So like we said earlier, love is not a gift of the Spirit, love is a fruit of the Spirit. They're both of the Spirit, gifts, gifts of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit, but love is a fruit of the Spirit. And as you walk in the Spirit, it's the first fruit that you will begin to see growing in your life. And as you continue to walk in the Spirit, you'll begin to see the others growing as well. Now, gifts are given by God. Fruit grows. Think of how grapes grow on the vine. They, they grow on the branch because of the life that is in the vine. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. And then he said, for without me, you can do nothing. Remember, Paul said, if I have not love, I am nothing. Fruit is for character. Gifts are for power. God wants you to walk in, 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 his, in his power, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Yeah? People can have much power in their life and very little character. Or vice versa, a person can have much character in their life but very little power. See, Jesus, we saw Jesus was walking in both. He's, doing, he, he's walking in all these, you know, I mean, preaching, teaching, healing, casting out demons. At the same time, he did it because he was moved with compassion, love, fruit. It's both there in his life, you know. 
There needs to be a balance in these things in our life so that we can follow Jesus' example. Amen. Now, you can say that love is a gift. You can. In the sense that God has shed his love abroad in your heart. The word says that. God has shed his love abroad in your heart. But as we've seen, that love just doesn't automatically translate to others around us. Right? It's in there. The love, it's an example to follow is what it is. It's an example. And it grows in our lives toward others as we walk in the Spirit. So you see, your love walk backs up your gifts. Amen? Okay. Father, we thank you for your word. and I thank you, Lord, that you, you left our will intact. So I pray, Lord, that you help us to commit these things to our heart and not be dull of hearing, not be... Not be um, slow to work at applying these things to our lives, but to always keep these things ahead in front of us, Lord. Help us to keep this before us at all times because we want to walk in close fellowship with you. But Lord, um, again, like you mentioned earlier when we were in worship and you said, you know, told me to slow down, just take some time to spend in your presence. You also, you delight in that, Lord. That's really where all this comes from. Just the word said, Jesus went out into the wilderness by himself to pray often. So, Lord, we just we, we ask that you teach us how to walk in closer fellowship with you. I thank you. I pray that you bless everyone as they go. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, well, you're all dismissed. And if you need anything,